I had to pick one thing that stops innovation from happening in the workplace, they're all driven about completing things, which is really, really important. They wouldn't have their productivity and all that sort of stuff if they didn't have that. But it is directly opposite to what creativity is and innovation is ultimately about, which requires if you're going to do something new, it means that you're going to have to explore things, you're going to have to test things, you're going to have to experiment, and you're going to have to fail sometimes. So if you just want consistent, reliable results, do the McDonald's things and build a machine out of it and people can come and go as they please. You know, it doesn't matter. But don't give us the KPIs and put us on a strict timetable and deadline and costs and all the rest of it and then tell us to be innovative at the same time because they're two opposites. They're two different things. Welcome to the Engage to Innovate podcast. Hi, I'm Judy Selman. You know, our world evolves through innovation. And as business leaders, we have to step out of our comfort zone, which is never easy heading into totally new territory. But this podcast is all about helping you tackle that adventure. We talk to people who have done it before and those who have worked with innovators. So let's get started on our next journey of discovery. Welcome to the Engage to Innovate podcast. I'm Judy Silmans, and today my partner Erics is joining me for a chat with Jeff McDonald. Jeff's an interesting guy. He's a trained architect, but now calls himself an ideas architect. So I'm really looking forward to learning what that's how that evolved. And he's a writer with nine books under his belt. OMG, we've been struggling to write one for the last few months. Actually, we're about to nail that. Um, so, wow. And, uh, and of course, so and he's a speaker and a business coach. And if I sat here rambling on his list, we would still be doing this 20 minutes, 30 minutes time. So I'm going to shut up. So welcome, Jeff. Hello. Hi, Judy. Hi, Eric. Hi, Jeff. Sounds better on paper. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. Just, just, just milk it because it's yes, it's fine on paper. It's fine. Just milk it. Go for it. I reckon. So, you know, we hooked up on LinkedIn, and uh, after reading a few of your posts, I'm going to award you my most read person award. <laughs> Omg, you would put anyone to shame. You know, is clearly that's just been you since a child. I'm assuming. No. The- the, the no. funny thing I always say to people is that I failed English at high school. <laughs> oh, God, there's hope for me yet. <laughs> yeah. I think partly that was a, a naive 17-year-old who didn't know what, read the books at the start of the year and got to the exams at the end and forgot what they were all about. So I think I could always put words together, but I think it's also just a lot of writing and a lot of practice over the years. Well, they do say that... When you're writing, the more you take in, the better your output. Is that, is that a principle you're working on because you do read a lot? Um, I didn't actively take that on and I've read it a lot and I think that's probably correct. I think it's a useful thing that not only are you picking up what people say, but I think you also hear the turn of phrase and you kind of go, oh, that's a nice way of saying it. I might try that. And whether you're conscious of that or not, I think it's a valuable thing the more you read is what a lot of the authors recommend or a lot of the writers recommend. So does that mean then you you must be very curious about things? Because when we're talking about innovation, uh, certainly you know, keeping an open mind, being a magpie and being infinitely curious seem to be good traits to have. 
oh, I think spot on. If I said there was one thing about innovation, that's it. Um, like the obvious words for me are I'm a creative, an innovator, but ultimately I think I'm a learner. And I think right. the key to learning, I just want to learn stuff, and that's your curiosity in one word. You got it, nailed it. Yes, because if you're in a position of saying, well, I know everything about my industry and I'll just barrel on as I always have and no one can tell me anything, there are no new ideas out there, that's, well, that's really the antithesis to innovation, I suppose. Yeah, I, I tend to not buy into that one at all because I think once you start to know something, you just realise there's a whole lot more. And the other piece I'd say is there's, I, I have this thing at Christmas. It's kind of a weird family thing where my brother and my brother-in-law, my brother-in-law was in the fire brigade and my brother was in the army as a mechanic. So they're used to fixing practical problems. And right. what often gets happens in Christmas, some problem will come up and they'll go, oh, the answer is this. And good old Jeff can't help himself. I'll say, oh, the answer could also be this, this, and have you considered that? And I think that's kind of where I got to see my mindset that uh, as an architect, I suppose that's the design thinking that there's always a million different ways to design a house and it comes down to, well, how did you finish up with that one rather than all the other ones you didn't design? Whereas my brother and my brother-in-law are probably more interested in the one solution. Whereas for me, fixing my computer or car is just not interesting because where's the curiosity? You just know there's got to fix yeah. that and you fix it. Whereas I want to work out what it actually could be. So it's kind of a different aspect. There's lots of aspects of creativity, but I think the one that really appeals to me is that it's the creative as an explorer, that I like to explore things, which comes back to the learning and the curiosity piece. I love the way you've put that, actually, Jeff, because I, I, I can actually resonate with it. So um, and it's quite interesting when you start seeing it. I've never super analysed myself. I just go about and do my stuff. So, um, you know, that, that's really – I'm sorry, my brain's working while you're saying that because I, I can start – I can actually visualise doing that and it makes so much sense. You're right, on a mechanical process, there's only, you know, there pretty much is only one way to put um, that, a piston on, oh, I even know something about <laughs> mechanics, um, you know, a piston in the hole, you know. <laughs> so um, whereas when you've got a creative business problem, there are so many ways that you can create a solution and that's, that's what excites me too. I love that. Well, it did take me two or three Christmases to work that out, but eventually <laughs> I said, why do I keep having these run-ins with them? And then I had to work out, what do I do that's different to them? And I realised, okay, we just see the world differently, so how does yeah. that play out? And then I looked at their careers and I thought, okay, that's why I'm the architect and that's why they're the mechanics and the fireman. Yeah. The fireman's got to find out three different ways or one way to put the fire out, whereas the architect's exploring <laughs> yeah so does that mean um less christmas arguments by the way i, I need every tip i can get for that part of you <laughs> for me it means i can see it coming now it's like okay just offer them one solution option here jeff and then back off <laughs> yeah 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 and, and i'm just wondering is that what you do in your coaching a bit too because i know you do some coaching with with leaders is that part of what you do is understanding how everyone's different and working together Oh, I think as a coach, you absolutely have to do that. Probably the big one for me is that 
I, when I'm coaching someone, at the moment I'm coaching people around manifestos and it's kind of like, um, actually I, I came up with a, an idea when I was doing some speaking coaching with someone and he was coaching me about trying to add some humour to my, my work. And I came up with this idea called the, the creativity burger, that if you walked into McDonald's and you asked for a burger, it's pretty obvious, you point to it on the menu, you know how much it's going to cost and pretty much you know that it's going to be all done in about 30 seconds or a minute or two minutes tops. Whereas I think when you get into creativity, you actually don't know how long things are going to be, you don't know how long they're going to take and ultimately to a certain extent you don't know how much they're going to cost. And I think your coaching, what I found is I actually have to tell people how the coaching process works and even with the manifestos or I was designing board games or products and things for people in the past, it was like I have to actually tell them that most of the time I don't know what the answer is, but that doesn't mean I don't know what I'm doing. So yeah. a lot of people need the control or the sense of certainty, whereas I think that's the other thing. It's the curiosity kind of fits in that same place that I can be with the uncertainty of actually I just don't know the answer right now, but I'm okay with that, whereas a lot of people chase down solutions just to close that open loop for themselves because they can't sit there not knowing. And I think that's why I'm, I can stick at things for longer and work out processes or create stuff, whereas other people tend to jump for quick fixes. Is it fair to say that in the modern business environment, because so much of it is KPI-driven and that people are answerable for benchmarks and, as you say, getting things done in, in a particular time and in a particular way, that people are being discouraged from thinking creatively because that might look bad because if it doesn't fit a KPI, doesn't fit on the spreadsheet, then they'll take some heat from upstairs for that. Whereas I suppose maybe in coaching you, you're having to cultivate an alternative to that. Oh, I think that's exactly right. I think if I had to pick one thing that stops innovation from happening in the workplace, it's exactly what you said. They're all driven about completing things which is really, right. really important. They wouldn't have their productivity and all that sort of stuff if they didn't have that. But it is directly opposite to what creativity is and innovation is ultimately about, which requires if you're going to do something new, it means that you're going to have to explore things, you're going to have to test things, you're going to have to experiment, and you're going to have to fail sometimes. So if you just want consistent, reliable results, do the McDonald's things and build a machine out of it and people can come and go as they please. You know, It doesn't matter. But don't give us the KPIs and put us on a strict timetable and deadline and costs and all the rest of it and then tell us to be innovative at the same time because they're two opposites. They're two different things. No, that, that, that makes perfect sense. And so to some extent this is like you're, you're – spreading a gospel, if you like, uh, about thinking differently like this because it, it must be, yeah, because these habits become and, and strictures become quite ingrained. And do you, so as part of this process, for instance, because I know in, in a lot of uh, management coaching as such that taking people off site, for instance, is that important to get people out of their environment? It's kind of one of the, I think it's one of the percent, one percenters. It's right. part of it. It actually signals to people that this is not business as usual. We're going to do right. something differently. 
And to a certain extent, it signals that we're go- not going to do productivity because you don't go to a new workplace and try to get started quickly. You know, if you right. wanted to do that, you'd stick with the existing thing and, you know, cut out all the noise. But I, but I think it's also, it's, I kind of have a, a mixed conversation with myself about this. <laughs> um, I think some people you can actually, well, put it this way, it's like, I think I'm already creative. So to a certain extent, giving me lessons in creativity or innovation would probably not make a lot of difference. It might make a 5 or 10% difference. And if I took right. someone who really wasn't very creative or innovative, yeah, you probably could turn them into somebody that's really creative and innovative, but it would take a long time. It's kind of like someone learning how to play tennis or something. You don't just you might be able to pick up the racket and hit the ball back, but being right. at a professional level around it's very different. And my viewpoint is that sometimes you actually just have to work with people's strengths. And I'm a big fan of the strengths movement. So if your strengths right. are not in creativity, by all means, if they're a weakness for you, freshen them up, sharpen them up, do something with them. But if you're fundamentally not an innovator, and probably the opposite is, the, probably the classic example for me is I'm a great at starting projects, but I've traditionally always been really lousy at finishing them. Right. And, and it's kind of, <laughs> I can get better at finishing them, but I'm never going to be brilliant at finishing them. I need to be good enough because otherwise all my projects fail, but I don't have to be world-class at finishing. And I think it's the same for people who are great at completing things. They don't necessarily have to be brilliant at innovating. They just kind of have to have enough to be in the game. They don't want to be lousy at it. And I think the idea that we train people to be equal around all this undermines the people that actually are creative and innovative. And I think that's the bigger conversation that, if we think just taking our staff out of the office for a retreat is going to fix that, sorry, you missed the whole point. It might be fun to do that and it might be necessarily from a social relationship point of view, but it's not going to make people innovative. Right. So does that require a greater degree of management, say they were away on a retreat? Do you have ways of perhaps giving it more purpose and perhaps tapping into the team more? Yeah, I think you've got to change the activities. Um, right. I think that's the key. The, the actual off-site's not it, but it's the change of activity. Like, to a certain extent, it's like the guy on the production line, if you asked him what was wrong and how to improve it, he'd be able to tell you in one sentence. You've got to fix yep. that bottleneck at the corner. Everything stops there. So that's yep. kind of the level that, everybody can participate at innovation. Then if you want people to be more creative than that, then you've got to change up the activity so they're forced to operate in a different way. And I think the the simplest generic way to do that is that you need to have the equivalent of a game where they're forced to take on a different role. So if I'm used to seeing myself as CEO or CFO or something like that where I work in a particular way, I need to get the person out of that typical way so they can explore other ways. And the simple word play is probably about the sum. If you can get people to play and explore, then there's the possibility they might come up with something. So it's more about the activity and engaging people in those activities. And you're giving them permission to think differently, I guess. Yeah, so they don't feel they're going to 
be slapped down for, like to use the, the expression, uh, getting out of their lane. This is actually about getting into another lane. Yeah, the permission one's perfect example as well because if you go back to the the KPIs and that, it's kind of like we'll reward you if you get the result we want and we'll penalise yep. you if you don't get the result we want. And right. it's kind of the same in creativity. We don't. I don't even know what the answer is going to be myself when I'm doing something creative. And a lot of the times you're literally going down dead head, dead ends and you just got to try stuff. Oh, let's see what happens if I do that. Oh, that didn't quite work. Oh, but it leads me to that. Oh, okay. Now if I do that, what happens? Um, the analogy I use is like putting a jigsaw puzzle together without the picture at the end. You right. put the puzzles together and you go, oh, that one seems to fit. And then it might not fit later or, you know, so forth. And I think that's where if you can get people thinking about things in a different way and therefore the play, if they're willing to play and explore, and to do that you have to give yourself permission, particularly us adults. You know, mostly we're, you know, at school we got told to sit down and shut up too much, or at least I did, <laughs> or to stop <laughs> talking. Yes. <laughs> so we've kind of got to stop that and, and give ourselves permission that it's okay to go off on tangents and explore and do silly things and fun things and just see what comes out because that's really what the creative process is to a certain extent. And do you find people respond well to that? Um, it's mixed. Um, right. It's kind of like, dare I say it, one version of it is some people need a beer to chill out. You know, sure. It's kind of like you've got to turn off their filters about what's okay. Right. But ultimately what you want when you're doing it with a group, you really only need to get two or three people or maybe even one on board and then others people see that it's okay and safe for that person, then they're more likely to give a little bit and slowly loosen up as well. Um, the other side of the chaos is I've done a couple of um, post-dinner uh, um speaking gigs that have been absolute disasters because <laughs> half of the audience is drunk, so that's kind of too far. But um, <laughs> yourself up is a good thing. But, again, part of this is also that a lot of our work is in our heads. And what right. we want to do with play, if we can get into moving our bodies and those sort of things, hopefully we can shift that emphasis in our heads because people are just too constrained in their thoughts half the time, whereas they just need to be in the moment and explore and play. And it's setting up activities, and that's why if you frame it literally as a game, people will go, yep. oh, okay, I can play. Yep. Yeah, you know, that, that all just makes so much sense because it, even things that we do, it's all about making people relaxed and, you know, yeah. like bringing out their happy hormones, for example. And and so when you do that and they don't, they feel, not only do they have purpose and a value, but they just feel that they can make it doesn't there's no mistakes that it's relaxed it's and you you get once you get people responding and in, in that mo mood the, their responses completely change so when you put people on i mean i have been i've probably said this in another podcast interview now i think of it but my my old favorite first poor guy who introduced me to this he, he'll never live it down but <laughs> he introduced me to brainstorming and then of course it was uh, in my very early stages, uh, in fact, at a radio station, my first radio station, and we were called into the boardroom at 1 p.m. 
and generosity of some, I think there might have been some fruit or some snacks of some description and orange juice on the table and you will be creative for the next hour. And and I must admit um, I've actually got quite a creative mind when it goes and, in fact, that is my thing. I love it. But in that environment I am totally frozen. I I Mm. just... I can't, I, I don't even want to contribute. I just don't even know how and I, I freeze completely. So I, I feel it, it, it's such a negative experience from a whole team environment thing as well. You just, you shrivel up and go into your little corner and I think that's, there's some such bad stuff that's gone on in the past with, with you know, the brainstorming, the idea generation sector yeah, I think it's – I think your example's spot on because I've been talking to a few people about this mental health issue. So there's major problems with in showing up in the workplaces at the moment around mental health. And one of the problem, one of the things they're talking about is psychological safety. And it's right. kind of like we've, we've done all this physical safety stuff and particularly in the work, the production areas and that sort of stuff, you know, wear your steel cap boots, wear your helmet, all that sort of stuff. And now we're starting to realise and there's this thing called psychological safety. And I think that's a key idea around creativity that if you don't imagine, so if you're in a meeting and you don't feel that it's safe because the boss is sitting next to you and he jumps on everything you say, and you might come up with the best idea ever to change your company's future, you know, but if he's sitting there and you've got an opinion about what you think might happen, you're not going to say mm. anything. Mm. And that's where innovation gets shut down. It's in those, like I created a program a long time ago called Innovative Spaces. And the, the simple idea was that, that innovation lives in some sort of emotional space that we feel free or safe to be able to say stuff and explore stuff and consider stuff. And even if you've got the silliest ideas, because sometimes the silliest ideas are the best ones, that you've yeah. got to have like what Eric's was saying before, you've got to have a permission for yourself and probably permission for the group as well in some way, even if it's not formal. And then you create this safe space that you feel like you can contribute into. And that's the crucial thing because we all have really good ideas. Our brains are always generating ideas about what could work. Most of us are really just shut down around expressing them. And the challenge of innovation is not creativity in terms of coming up with ideas, but it's being able to express ideas and then explore the ideas. Because, again, the problem with brainstorming, everyone goes, oh, yeah, throw out all the ideas. That's the actually the easy part. It's what mm. you do with the 347 ideas you came up with in the last five minutes. And most of them just get disregarded because there's not a proper uh, follow-up or explanation, exploration of them. So I think you're right in that territory of, you know, a couple of these things coming together around permission for ourselves and others about the space we find ourselves in, not just physically but conversationally, socially, mentally. The offsite can help with that, but it's not necessarily going to do it by itself. And sometimes that's also why you need an external facilitator or someone who's not part of the group to be the clown, be the catalyst, be the whatever's needed to actually just spark something to get the thing going because our emotions are fundamentally contagious that if we can get Mm. one or two people starting to play the game and explore and be creative the others will soon follow yeah 
No, totally. You're right about contagious. So, you know. Great yeah. phrase. Yeah, I love, love that. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, yeah, because you, you, we've all been there where you walk into the office and someone's in a foul mood. And, and although we, we, you know, if you're all doing the mindfulness thing, and, and I try, but you, you're supposed to be just focused on yourself, but it's really hard. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, you, so <laughs> you, you're just influenced by those around you. That's, that's what we are being human, and that's our social nature of, of being a human. So, yeah. Do you know, how, how important is leadership then in innovation. I mean, you, you talked about potentially needing to get someone from outside, but does innovation, in your opinion, come from the leadership? Oh, absolutely. I think the leadership creates, the, the simple way would be to say the leadership creates the space for whether innovation happens or not. And it follows yep. in the same way we've just talked about it, that I think the comparison would be if I, if I was to manage, say, you, you two, and say, we've got a project and we've got to produce this result by Friday. And it was very practical. I could check in each day going, how's it going? You could say, oh, well, we've got two out of ten done and we're on track. And that's actually yep. pretty easy to manage. But if yep. you're talking about innovation where you don't know what the result's going to be, you don't know how long it's going to take, and you don't know any of those details, it's a, you're almost managing in the dark. But in the same mm. way, without that management, without that holding the space, okay, you've got two weeks, go and explore this. I don't expect you to do anything else. I expect you to just soak this up. And mm. what the brain research is showing, and I think this one hasn't, I'm really surprised this hasn't been picked up more, but they're talking about, they used to talk about two sides of the brain as being the left and right hemispheres of the brain, which physiologically is, is accurate. But what they're seeing in the up in the MRIs and all this other stuff, they're now talking about the uptime and the downtime brain. And the uptime mm. brain is basically whenever we're concentrating on a single task, which makes sense. That's what we're doing mm. most of the time at work. The downtime brain is is literally a different part of the brain operating more to the back rather than the frontal piece. And it's basically saying the downtime's like when you're walking, when you're wandering, when you're having a shower. Um, maybe whatever, whenever you're not doing a specific task, that's actually when our brain connects the dots. So if you've ever been in the shower and you've had the aha moment for that thing you've been trying to bust your butt over for the last two weeks and all of a sudden you've had a shower and the ideas come, that's because mm. you've shifted out of your uptime brain into your downtime brain and it's made sense of things and given you a new pattern around it. And this is why I think the, it goes back to Eric's original point around the push on KPIs and productivity, and I think it's connected to this mental health thing. We're simply spending too much time in our uptime brains and we're yeah. not spending enough rest, basically, in our downtime brains. And I think it's exacerbated by people doing their work on their laptop and then going, okay, I'm going to stop typing in Microsoft Word on my spreadsheet right now. I'm going to have a break and I'm going to jump on Facebook. And they think yes. in their heads that that's a shift, but from our brain's point of view, you're actually doing more of the same stuff. And it's kind of this is the piece where the leadership needs to be able to step in and provide rest and space for people. And that's a much deeper conversation than just managing somebody about whether the tasks are getting done. So it's absolutely, I think, leadership, as the word says, they need to lead the way and 
ultimately create the space for how things get done behind them or with them or around them. Um, so leadership. We, we just, I really, it, I didn't even think about the Facebook thing as social media because, of course, you know, if you're of a certain, well, I still, no, actually I've given up on Facebook. I'll be, I'll be <laughs> totally to. up there and, and, and I just went, you know what, I can't stand this crap any longer. So, so that's all out there now. So, but, but you know, used to and, you know, yes, you'd go, oh, okay, I'll have that break. And so I think about if you're in an office situation where, you know, you, you, you just need, you feel like you need a mental break. That is really interesting. You talked about the up and downtime brain. Of course, my downtime brain is when I go on holidays. Is that, does that explain why I've seriously am so stupid when I'm on holiday? <laughs> um, I can't comment on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, actually we've got friends who are in the, in the holiday business, if you like, and, and I've seen it on holiday myself and the, and the most intelligent people will come out with the stupidest answers. <laughs> so I wondered if maybe that's part of the downside. Well, they may be processing something in the background, exactly. though, if, if you set them a problem at the start of that, maybe <laughs> – the solution will come out the other end. Well, that's but an, it's an, an interesting it's point because they're actually seeing results from that. If you actually ask your brain a question and then yep. go off for a walk or even have a sleep, different people yep. over the years have tried this and it seems to have some merit, even though no one quite knows how it works, that if you open up a question for people and just leave them to it, the answer will come. Yeah. So it's mm. a bit woo-woo, but it's kind of like, oh. No, no, no. It's, I, it's around that. Absolutely. No, no, no. I, I, I can attest to that. We no, do yeah, that all the times. time around here. If it's like, no, it's it's not coming to me, I'm going for a walk or I'm going to yeah. go and meditate yeah. or yeah, I'm going to go and whatever I'm going to do. Well, as you said, Jeff, it's not more screen time. Yes. Mm -hmm. is, you know, even though it's playing on screen, it's still a task. It's a screen task. Yeah. Is it? it yeah, that, that that's not helping anything at all because, uh, okay, yes, because your brain is in uptime mode. Well, that's a terrific way to look at that and why, you know, as we, you were speaking before, I was just sort of turning this over in the back of my brain. Um, <laughs> about about the walk after this. <laughs> yes, yeah, so a podcast of walking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> be very gripping. But it, when more emphasis is put on problem solving these days, that the, particularly in, in management, that you're expected to be a lateral thinker and problem solver and, and so on. So you actually have to be really aware of that, that, uh, yeah, that, that, that you can't be staying on screen all the time and, and doing tasks while you're trying to work out a problem, because the, it is said that the jobs, uh, you know, the, the human jobs of the future will be problem solving, even though a lot of AI can do that yeah. as well. But uh, we need to be conscious of that, I think. Yeah, there's a really old, well, I guess it's an old joke, but the, the old joke was the, the US um, CEOs visiting his counterparts in Japan and walking around the office, getting a tour of the office, and there's a worker in Japan with his feet up on his desk fast asleep. And the, the American CEO is walking over about to shake the guy, wake him up and fire him. And the Japanese guy is holding him back saying, no, don't do that. He's dreaming up our next big idea. And I, <laughs> I kind of think that sums up that we have this attitude yeah. around work that is very much this, there's an East-West thing that the West are very driven about activity 
and task focus, which there's all sorts of reasons why that comes from. Um, but the, the East, particularly I think the shining light is mindfulness, as you mentioned before, Judy, and meditation, that they value contemplation and reflection. And that's mm. really a huge part of where innovation comes from. It's in all the gaps between the doing. And if yes. we're doing all the time, we're actually killing off the opportunities for our innovation. And I know that's completely at odds with all the traditional stuff about productivity. But if you want us to be creative, we've got to do things differently. We can't be doing the same old thing. Otherwise, you know, as the old rule says, we'll get the same old results. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, um, uh, oh, God, I've got a men mind block there. What, what is that? It means I've gone into some different zone in my brain, I think. It just <laughs> literally just it evaporated in front of my little eyes almost. Um, no, I, I actually I think we need to – I really like this thought concept of giving permission, though, to the team. Yeah. And I think that's the part of leadership that's really important, that in most um, work environments, you know, I think the reason why people don't feel they can have a break is that in some ways, uh, if it's screen time, they might be pretending to be working, yes. you know. So their brain might be saying to them, I need a break, I can't think anymore, but they are – they're not really feel that they don't feel that they've got permission to get up from their screen and go and do something else that actually might assist their work. So we we tend to view that as being oh they're slacking off they're you know going for smoko or geez they seem to go to get up and down and go to the loo all the time. So we're judging people in a work environment and I think again that comes down to leadership giving permission and making it okay to have downtime, knowing that in fact productivity could be better. Yeah. If I was the manager, that would be the first thing I'd kill off. I'd just say, look, yeah. here's your project, here's your timeline, keep talking to me and off you go. If I don't see you for the week, that's fine. Just make sure it's delivered. Because um, it's it's very much, that's the hangover from the Industrial Revolution where someone had to stand next to the machine for the machine to work. And if the yep. person wasn't there, the machine stopped working and production stopped. You know, whereas we're supposedly knowledge workers. So the example of the Japanese guy sleeping, we actually don't know whether he was actually sleeping or whether he was doing mindfulness training or he was being creative. And it's kind yeah. of a thing just because I'm sitting there and you're sitting at your screen, I might be on Facebook, I might be reading the news, I might be f doing emails or I might just be fluffing around with my emails. You know, yeah. so many variations. And at the end of the day, well, I'll tell you the other interesting thing that's showing up in some of the rings I've been reading about rest and recovery. There's different opinions about how much work we should actually be doing, like task-focused work a day. Some of the estimates are as low as four hours a day, and the other ones are about six hours a day. So this wow. idea that we have to sit at our desk for eight hours to get a day's work done is ridiculous. It's like one of those benchmarks. Where did that come from? Um, mm that I find even for myself, my ideal day is closer to doing two hours solid work first thing in the morning. Then I'll have a break for anything for, depends what how much I'm doing for the day, but I'll probably only, only do four to six hours a day. And ideally I'll do half of that in the morning. And then in the middle of the day, I'll have two or three hours break where I do go for a walk or ride my bike or something. And that's probably closer to what a lot of um, Possibly you might go the leisure class of, you know, the Charles Darwins and these guys of that era. That was the way they tended to work. Not many of them actually spent all day, every day working their butt off. A lot of them worked 
solidly and intensely for a short period of time, like a couple of hours, and then they mm. have long walks. That kind of fits in with something I was taught a long time ago when I was doing some tutoring at a polytechnic and I uh, did a crash course in, in some of the techniques. And when they talk about, you know, holding attention for like 50 minutes mm. before you change state. And, and so that, that, that's not a terrifically long time, but that kind of makes sense because I said, well, you'll only have their attention for up to 50 minutes. Then you have to change the game in some way yep. to refresh people's attention. So, but again, um, in a lot of jobs that are very task oriented, they don't get to change states. I actually think, again, the answer is they should be. They'd actually, if they did a test on this, if let's say someone worked for an hour straight, for, let's yep. say they worked for two hours straight versus someone yep. who worked for uh, 50 minutes, had a 20-minute break and come back for 50 minutes. I reckon the second group would be comparable to the first group in that immediate level of productivity. It depends on the task and the people, obviously. But if you also play that out for six months or 12 months, what's the well-being going to be like of the people that are sitting there for mm. two hours? And there's all this research about sitting down for too long for starters. So even mm. at that level, our body's starting to conk out, if you like, that we can't just sit there and do the same thing over. And anywhere, I think the 45 minute, 50 minutes kind of the, the piece, if you're not changing people's activity after that, as a manager, I'd be coming in almost with the whip and saying, get up out of your seat and get out of the office for 10 minutes and come back, you know, and almost yep. forcing them to change. And and even that's like when you stand them up and have a meeting or something that actually interrupts them just sitting down all day because that's not good for us. No, and, and I guess to peg it back to innovation, that creating a repetitive mindset like that, it again, runs counter to what you really need because people can think up things. And if, for instance, you've given people the, the permission while they're working or in breaks and so on, you, you, to actually have an innovation exercise going on, uh, maybe you know, it, it, it's like you set aside a week during that workplace where you're actually going to have innovation breaks and and, uh, and and lift the shackles, if you like. Maybe there's ways of doing that. Well, I think that's a really smart idea uh, because if it's kind of like if we fill up our diaries with meetings, well, we're going to get some result. But if we really want to put innovation on the agenda, then we need to put it into diaries in some level of activity. The challenge on it is what's the right activity. And I think yep. it would be a bunch of things you'd do. It might be... Um, and again, this is where people are different. So some people would more likely innovate in a social setting. So sitting yep. them around in a team and having a 10-minute meeting to come up with some ideas might be what works for them. Other people might be better off going for a walk on their own. Um, other people might be better off researching on the internet. And yep. it's kind of, I think when you look at the Google example where they're giving people um, one day a week to work on their private projects, mm. I'm not saying that's the perfect answer for everybody, but at least it says it's, it gives that permission and it says yeah. that innovation is important. 
And I think yeah. that's the leadership thing for leaders. You know, it's that old cliche. The leader stands up and say, bangs the desk and says, innovation's important here. We need to be more innovative. Off to your, off to your cubicles and be more innovative. It's, like, <laughs> yeah. it's just not going to work unless you put yeah. some structure in behind it to say, here's the time, the space, and the emphasis on innovation. And then you've got a chance of something showing up. But if you close yeah. the door to it, you, you're not going to get anything. Have you seen the um, Adobe's Kickbox program? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, so they've they've actually made it open source. So um, there, there's a YouTube clip on it. But for fundamentally, yes, it's giving structure and guidelines and permission to go and innovate. Yeah. And 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 but but within strict guidelines, and they give them a toolkit. So you get a box to start with, which has got all the things you need in uh, to go off and, in, and create your idea and to do your homework on whether there's a business case for it. And then if you, you get past the, see, I can't quite remember all the details, but you get past the next level and then you, then you might get either the blue or the red box, whatever it was, and that actually has money in it. And that gives you a budget to take your potential idea to a next level. And that's all done as individuals or you can form a little team within whatever work, again, whatever works for you. You, It's all about being given permission. But, you know, to me this is a really good segue into um, why do businesses even need innovation because, I mean, obviously we believe they do, but from from your perspective, your perspective, so many businesses just are going along status quo, doing what, and, and I get it, it's when you're in you know, business, it's, it's hard to do everything you're supposed to do and be across everything. But from your perspective, why is innovation, do you think, particularly going into this next decade? Well, probably an example is probably appropriate here. Talking to a guy who works in the retail space, and he's finding that the retailers are just not willing to invest in things anymore, including mm. training and innovation. And it's like, well, the way the market's going, the retailers are literally going out of business and you're seeing them yep. fall left, right and centre. And so the question is, and he pointed out very clearly, I just said, oh, well, it's all because it's all going online. And he said, no, it's actually not. Online st- sales are still only 10% of all sales. Yep. And it kind of says, oh, okay, so what's going on there? And the conclusion we came to is they're not willing to try anything different and it's costing them their business. So by all means, we can stay in business as usual, but that really is the the head in the sand approach of I'm actually hoping that things are going to improve and it's living Mm. in hope versus what I see as innovation as being you're being proactive about creating opportunities for yourself. And at the, the long end of that, you've got one group that it may be the difference between whether you're in business in the next six months or 12 months. But surely for all of us, if we're not innovating, then we're, none of us are going to be in business in 10 or 20 years. So it just comes down to the world's changing and we need to change yeah. in some way around that or with that or ahead of it or something. And I think yeah, that's I think, uh, yeah. yeah. Totally agree with you on the retail thing, and and you know I, I have been in retail. We've owned a retail business for a while, and and uh, and I say that we actually work a very innovative business, and and 
but you know, until he killed me seven days a week, <laughs> yeah. I just decided that, and, and oh yeah, it's seriously hard work. And and uh, not that I'm shy of hard work, but we owned, we actually owned a pet shop, and and uh, in the days where it was appropriate to sell live animals, and we would we in Sydney, we used to sell more live animals than anybody else. So wow. we grew that very very fast with some innovative thinking. But um, the point is these days that. You know, I, I hate shopping. I'll be the first yeah. to tell you that because I'm going to go in and I'm going to meet somebody who's going to say, are you right? Um, <laughs> and, like, so they're not really interested in you. They're, as you said, they're untrained. Um, the, the store to me, I remember walking into a store with a couple of friends a couple of months back and I actually gave them feedback and I said, you know, we nearly didn't walk in here. This place looks like a jumble sale. <laughs> and, and it did. It looked awful. And they were really sweet girls and they said, hey, thanks for the feedback. We'll give it to our management and whatever, you know, whether it doesn't make any difference, who knows. But the point is that, it, yes, it has to be I want to go in and feel good about the experience. Yeah. Ultimately, that's why I'm spending my time going into a place of business is to feel good about it and to come out going, wow, that was fun, you know, and I'll, I'll, you remember it. And and so I think that... You, know, you don't need a huge budget to do that, do you? No, no, I don't think you do. I, You know, look, some basic training... Again, I think of all the experiences. There was a great, there was a girl who got more money out of me in a dress shop than I've ever spent in my <laughs> life before or since, and because she was so talented at just putting things together and working it, you yeah. know. So she was working me, and she was clearly having fun doing it. But they're not trained anymore. They don't yeah. even know the stock half the time. They're they're tossed in there. They've you know they're 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 potentially, and I'm not looking on young people because that, you know, we all need to start somewhere, but train people so that they feel better about their jobs as well. You know, otherwise they're only going to leave and then that costs the business even more money to replace people and and on the cycle goes. I, I really believe quite strongly that um, training staff and is it shouldn't be innovative, but in some ways it is in an approach. And, and if you can create an innovation through your training yeah. and find – because I'm a strong proponent of point of difference and, and, and if you like, that comes from my uh, radio background where, you know, when you're running a radio station, you have to be different. You have to stand for something, have particular kind of personality around you because it's not just about the music you're playing. Uh, and, and that was very much drummed into me. You must find that – your, your personality, if you like. So from a retail point of view, it would just be terrific for more retail to find their voice like that because it is about the people and, and help their people shine because everyone is different. Mm. And, and, you know, staff don't have to be robots. They, they can still be trained, but their natural personality can come out which again comes right back to that permission thing uh, that, that you give people that, that space to be themselves. So, you know, when you walk into a shop, you, you want to uh, interact with people. We're social animals. And, and it's just a shame because we'd, we'd love to see more retail do really well against 
the against the digital world. Well, I think we're it's kind of one of those examples. Of just listening to what you've both said, it's that pick up a lot of the points that we've talked about. That it's about learning and training. It's about curiosity and seeing what works or what could work. It's about the leadership. It's about permission. It's about creating the space. And it's it's I just see it as an opportunity as well. Um, yeah. It's like, yeah, the way we used to do it's no longer working, so let's we have to stop that. And it yeah. does have to become an experience, not only for the shopper, but I think you're exactly right, Judy, that it actually needs to be an enjoyable place and a thrill for the workers to go there and do their work rather yeah. than just turn up and slogging out the day and looking at the clock. That's not yeah. going to help. And that's why I just see, for me, it does come all the way back to if I'm willing to learn, then naturally innovation is going to follow because I'm going to learn something that's going to change my view of something. And I think that's why it all comes back to learning. But I just think from this conversation with this guy the other day, it was just like retail sitting there primed for the picking. Um, yeah. I'm not Because if you look at it, even in Melbourne, we've got H&M and Uniglow and these guys that have come in with, innovative offerings and they're they're going gangbusters yeah the guys that haven't changed that are going down the gurgler and it's simply because they're not willing to change and that's the lack of innovation yeah no and and so in the end you you, if you're in business today i think there's pretty much a clear decision you you either want your business to go you know still be around in the next year five years or, or you're happy to retire and close it down, you know, yeah. really make a decision and, and, and then if you want it to be there for your family's future or you, you're not, not ready to give up yet, then you really have no choice but to get involved in innovation and, and get those that know about, you know, and we, so we talk about from a customer's perspective but also the team, you know, get them involved in that process and empower them and make them feel better about it and, you know, there's so many benefits to to empowering everybody involved um, that and the owner ends up major benefits. So, yeah. yeah. And I think also if, if, if you looked at your own business and the same for the listeners, that if we look at our businesses, how much have things changed in the last little while? And yeah. I'm probably not a good example because I tend to hop, skip and jump all over the place at times, but it's also about oh, I tried that, that doesn't. That, that worked for a while, but it doesn't work anymore. Or I tried mm-hmm. that and it didn't work. And a lot of my stuff, have, I always talk about what I do as experiments. They're little tests mm-hmm. to see what might work. And then sometimes it only takes one or two people to go, oh, I like that, okay, I'll develop it a bit more and then see whether it becomes something. And I think that's certainly an approach that appeals to me, and I'm not saying it appeals to everybody, um, but it does need some sense of, there is no guarantee going forward of anything working. So we do have to keep exploring the fringes to see what might work in the future or what might keep working. But that certainly fits in with the way or the pace at which business is going now anyway because as you were saying that, I, I was thinking that if you've grown up in with a sense of, okay, you bring in a new idea and it's going to stay for quite a long time and that things won't change too much, you know, in a year's time, okay, we might get some feedback, do some research, find out whether that idea is still valid or not. And and they used to be viable. Entire Mm -hmm. marketing, ad agency industries were, were 
built around that. But now it is constantly changing. So the idea that you might only hold on to something, a new concept for a little while, actually is right for the landscape. And that's certainly a major change in thinking. Well, when I started my book summary service, Book Wrapper, so I was summarizing the books and I was releasing them as PDFs. So right. effectively, I was selling ebooks. And when I first tried to sell them, so this is, um, when was that? 2007. So when I first tried to sell it, people weren't interested. They said, no, I'm not going to pay for an electronic book. And it probably took right. close to 12 months before people said, okay, I'm going to start paying for this. And then it had a life of about two or three or four years before people would go, I'm not paying for that anymore because there's plenty of others out there like it. Mm. And it's kind of, I can stick my head in the sand and say, I'm doing good work here. You need to buy my stuff to support (laughs) me. But it's like, if it's not of value to the customer, it's not worth anything. And I think this is part of the gap that it's like, and the retailer is probably the great metaphor here. If I just open my store and stick stuff in it, people will come in and buy from me. And it's kind of partly true, but it's not a guarantee of success. And Mm. that may have worked, particularly in a small town where there are small choices previously, but it definitely doesn't work today. You need to be doing a lot more and adding a lot more value and benefit for customers Um, because if it's a straight purchase decision between that commodity and that other one, I can get it cheaper somewhere else. Someone's always got it cheaper and that's not the way to run a business on cheaper unless that is your business model. Um, No, well, and and it's not a long, 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 oh, there's my brain again. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's um, certainly not going to have longevity if you if you're just working on it on a price perspective. So, um, yeah. Well, the other funny Jeff, one, just one last point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The retail guy was saying, even some of those cheap retailers, like the not quite the reject shop, but some along those lines, they're even going broke. So even it's not working at the cheap end anymore. Yeah, no. I, again, I just think it's got to have more. To, it's more than that. It's got to have that experience. It's, yes. And we're picking on retail, of course, but it could be any industry sector that is going through a change and you just have to keep up with it. You just don't have actually a choice anymore. It's, you know, I, I think I remember reading on your website about, you know, it's tough out there being in business on your own and and uh, it, it's a constant keeping up and and but that's what it is and that's the game you're playing and you've got to do it uh and you've you've got to come up with techniques and that work for you and your team and and your customers ultimately that that are going to win for you so yeah and if it's not your strength find somebody who it is and you work with them yeah yeah no we just got to find a way forward yeah exactly yeah and and you know because if you're driven and you you know your product um you know, you 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 do you are creative. I, I this business about not being creative or it's not my thing. Most people, if and, and it takes me back to past life things that I've done and mentoring and stuff and talking to people through their marketing challenges, and then all of a sudden you see them just with with a bit of guidance, and all of a sudden they're coming up with some fantastic ideas yeah. around it. Yeah. So. That's that's often all that people need. But firstly, you've got to make a decision that you want to be in this game long term and that innovation's the way to go. Then find the way that works for you and, yes, either working with others or getting the help you need somehow. Yep, spot on. Innovation starts with the decision to innovate. Everything else 
we can work That's out later. Great. God, you're full of quotes. Like, God, I love you. He's just like this little quote machine. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I think we've written, Eric's has been madly writing, by the way, which oh. is his way of working. So I, I can't concentrate and write at the same time, but he just will fill pages while he's listening to you and, and coming up with the answers. So anyway, all good. Thank you. To see what I've actually said. Yes. <laughs> it always is in a podcast, isn't it? <laughs> oh, <laughs> you you see quotes oh, or transcripts afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> well, I enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed that. It was really interesting to – firstly, I enjoyed the how the brain works. That was quite an eye-opener. So I learned something today and I love learning every day like you said if you can't do something new and exciting every day then life just gets a bit boring That's so <laughs> yeah so now I've uh, I had a bit of a scan of your website and there's so much information on there uh, we'll definitely put a link to for underneath to your site but is there is what how do people get in touch with you what's your site address what else would can you help people with um, the best ones just to go to jeffmcdonald.com it, it is a bit of a – it's almost becoming your uh, – what do you say about, about the retailer? It looked like a jumble sale or something. <laughs> Oops, sorry. <laughs> it's not too much. It, it actually needs refining because it's, it's just bursting at the seams at the moment. Um, so, But jeffmcdonald.com and my email address being jeff at jeffmcdonald. I do have about four other sites, but that's the main one. Um, they can Fair enough. There. I, I can vouch for this fact that there is enormous amount of information. So when you go onto Jeff's site, <laughs> just just take a bit of a deep breath and work through it because there's some really great material in there um, and some fabulous insights on on uh, on what you do. But yeah, don't don't go in there if you've got like two minutes to spare in your downtime. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, that's kind of the weakness of the innovation from the point of view that I just keep creating and the structure eventually breaks down and it's like, hang on, I better go back and fix that at some point. I think that's a trait with, with creatives and, yeah. and, you know, it's like that around here. I've, I've actually tried to curb my enthusiasm for coming into the office first thing and going, I've just been thinking and Eric's just about <laughs> crawls under the desk going, oh, no. Because I've got to figure out how to make it work. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's the way we work here, you see. So I just come up with going, oh, what if we did this? And then, then you know, and I go, well, why isn't it done yet? <laughs> I gave that to you yesterday. <laughs> or six months ago. Yeah, well, yeah, I wasn't actually saying that. I was trying to be polite. <laughs> but it's better to have have them than not have them because every idea has a use even if you can't use it straight away uh, uh, because I keep notes everywhere. So. Oh, oh yeah. right. Yeah. So you're catching them all but and Judy's throwing <laughs> them out there. <laughs> yeah, it's just um, but but they eventually we, we do have a way of managing, you know, we will sometimes go, actually that's not bad, shove that in that folder and whenever we're short of ideas we'll, we'll drag that one out so you know they, they come out eventually and yeah. i'm sure you work similar way jeff so yeah well i better wrap this up because i you know try and keep it so that we're not spending the whole day nattering away thank you so very very much thank again you. links to all your stuff for, for listeners i i highly recommend you know You've obviously, I can tell you've read so much, the fact that you're spouting off all this great knowledge and, and insights. So thank you again for sharing it. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. It's always a good chance just to 
probably say it is explore the topic of innovation and see what's needed and see what's not working and hopefully learn as well so hopefully it's exactly been that's the exciting part about it yeah, yeah. all good thank you thank, thank you off. bye bye, bye.